Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I want players that hate the rules. Plain and simple. I want players that I know when the game is over, they are crawling into the locker room and they need help getting their gear off. And it's, it's going to take them time to get in the shower. I want the buses to be late to the We all handle the thing differently, and it's and, it, and, it, and it's hard. And it's hard. What is up, Panther fans? Good to say, I'm a sore loser. I gotta say, I'm a sh- I'm a sore loser. As the Panthers' season continues to circle the drain like a pre-Al Gore commode, it's taking a long time to fully flush. Somehow the Panthers, though, have an opportunity to backdoor into the playoffs. And if they don't, I'd say I don't think it would be that much of a missed opportunity. And I'm here to talk about that tonight with my friend Cody Lashney on the C3 Panthers podcast. Cody, how are you, my friend? I'm doing just wonderful, man. It's a Tuesday night. We get to wrap it up and talk about our favorite football team. Win, lose, or draw. And how about this? Somehow, someway, we are still not mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. Let's talk about all the ins and outs of Panther Nation. I'm ready when you are, my brother. Well, despite the Panthers continuing their skid, I think it's five or five games now. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got to talk about the direction of this team, how this team has gotten to the place it is. Is this the bottom? Is this the bottom depth of of despair, or is it even lower? Can we go lower? But some good news is we've got a fantastic interview lined up tonight with Dan Hatman. I recorded this on Friday of last week before the loss. 
He's the director of scouting development for the Scouting Academy, and uh, he's he's going to help get a, give us some insight on the process that could happen uh, and who we would be looking for if we were to make a change at GM and how that process goes. He spent time with the Eagles, Giants, and Jets front offices. So that's going to be some good things to, to talk about and I think some uh, interesting things about the timeline. Guys, we want to go ahead and welcome everybody to the show, people watching on Facebook. I see Lynn over there in Facebook. I see Mac Tichy in, on Facebook as well as a lot of people in the YouTube chat from Underground West, Carlton da- David Shockhead, Jeremy Clancy. We're going to get through this together, guys. Don't you worry. But I need you to do me a favor. Go ahead and turn that phone to portrait mode and smash the thumbs up button. Also, if you listen to the podcast, uh, we have now joined a media group, Overtime Media Group and Network, uh, that is going to help us do some post-production things, maybe get uh, take some of the load off for me. But part of this is that we're going over to a new platform of Megaphone for the podcast. This is all back-end stuff. Nobody's going to see anything different. The show's not going to change at all. But the new RS, there is going to be a new RSS feed. So if you don't get your podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, those, you won't even notice a difference. It's going to just pump right in. But if you're like one of those people who directly subscribes to an RSS feed like myself uh, and uses kind of a third-party app, you're going to want to update the new RSS feed. That link can be found in the show notes uh, on Facebook as well as on uh, YouTube. And I'll make some announcements in the feed stuff and some things like that. And I hope that the show will go on uninterrupted. And I also want to apologize for missing out on the post game show. I had uh, some things come up in my personal life that just uh, that had to overtake this. And it was the first game that I was unable to watch of the Panthers and and closely and live uh, probably in six years. Uh, so been trying to sort those things out, but the C3 podcast lives on and continues. Cody, that Browns game, uh, it has gotten bad. The things have gotten bad. We knew that this was not going to be an easy opportunity uh, for the Panthers and one that could be easily missed. Five straight losses. You lose in Cleveland. They look like a team on the upswing. We, we are a team clearly on the downswing. Where is the bottom to this whole thing? Well, I don't know. The The bottom appears it would be 6 and 10. Uh, you know, we have uh, all the rest of our games moving forward are all in the division. The Saints and the Falcons, two teams we know very well, and two fan bases that we don't like a whole lot, two teams that we don't like a whole lot. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just – I just think what could have been is what makes everyone so upset and depressed – um, knowing that we were six and two, we were on a roll. We were doing so many good things, and then for this to happen, you know. And I also agree with Carlton Cohen in the YouTube chat. I mean, minus the Pittsburgh game, these have all been games that are that are close. I mean, we were not far away from winning these football games, but just one or two calls, or as Ron Rivera calls it, missed opportunities impeded our path to victory. Um, I don't know. Like I said, we're not eliminated. The Vikings are a bad football team right now. They just fired their offensive coordinator. 
Philadelphia doesn't look a lot better. Um, we are not far out of the of the wild card spot right now. So who would have thought, man? Shout out to Ten Tizzy who, who's hanging out in Shindig and uh, dual watching in YouTube. Also, John from Mass, Craig McCoy. I did miss a heartache. I was able to see like uh, parts of it and see the box score, but not devoted my full attention. And I've watched some of the condensed game format here. And uh, what I saw, Cody, was a, a team that looked completely out of sorts, though. A team that scored some points at times, was able to keep up or, or stay ahead for a moment, but could not stop, uh, like I've said over the last five games, a shopping cart rolling through a parking lot on a breezy day. Our defense couldn't stop anything. And Cody, I want you to cue up a clip of Jarvis Landry here. And uh, there's a play where the, I think the game's tied. Who knows what the score was? It could have been 17-14 us at that point. And Jarvis, they they run a play where Jarvis Landry throws a pass. And this pass, look at how long, Cody, he stands there. Look, have you seen a man stand that still and fire away? Everything that right there, I think, tells us so much about this defense right there. Is who cares if Luke Keekley, who played a his one of those games that you go, you know what, Luke Keekley's still Luke Keekley. Oh, yeah. But this defense stinks. Yeah, we have absolutely zero pass rush. Uh, I mean, absolutely none. And, and and we've talked about this before. It feels as though our defensive line just got old over the course of the off season. And yeah, when I mean, and it hasn't been just this football game. I mean, it happened in against Pittsburgh, Tampa. I mean, that they, they just quarterbacks have all the time in the world to burn our secondary. And they do it consistently. Um, another thing that just uh, makes me vomit, you know, all these Cam Newton haters come out of the woodwork and, and they say, oh, Cam didn't make this though, it didn't make that though. And yeah, that's true. I mean, Cam is culpable in all of these losses as well. But man, look at how much time these other quarterbacks have to work with. And then when you look at the film, some of which we'll show later, I mean, Cam, this is not working with the same thing. You know, the announcers say that he needs to step up into the pocket. How? Is he supposed to stand on the back of uh, of Matt Khalil or Ryan Khalil, rather? There's just the, the trenches are the problem with the football team on the offensive and the defensive line. But, yeah, Julius Peppers, he's not uh, a, a consistent threat on the edge. Mario Addison has disappeared. And uh, because of that, our interior guys, I mean, they're left on an island with double teams and triple teams almost all the time. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a bad problem right now. Uh, Shockhead says that our pass rush problem has been an issue since week two. Brother Herbert in here calling out the excuses. And let me tell you something right here is that at this point in the season, it's so bad that really we've had some things go 
is that I I don't fully believe that Cam Newton is 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 healthy unless his unless that he has such a violent throwing motion for his whole life that his that he's actually lost the strength of his arm because that ball is not getting there. It's just not getting there. But at the same time, here's the problem with Cam Newton's season so far. Despite having high completion percentages, despite not really losing games for Carolina, a couple, I think uh, that Tampa game, you could say he lost the game for us in that his gameplay was so bad, it was hard to overcome. But here's the problem with Cam Newton this season for me is that uh, out of a lot of these games, he's had an opportunity to be a hero. He's had an opportunity to win the game for us as well. And he has not been able to capitalize on that. If you think back to Detroit, the missed pass in Detroit, if you think about some of these missed throws at the time, when you get the ball and you can drive the field with an opportunity to tie, to win, which I feel like there have been three or four games there, Cam Newton has not delivered. And while the offensive line has not been uh, is not particularly helpful there, and it's starting to continue to show more and more each week. At the same time, Cam Newton has not been able to overcome that. And right now, I can only hope that it's an injury that is the signal or the reason for those things. Because if it's not the injury, then I'm you got to just be disappointed in the play of Cam at the end of the day not winning the game for us. And he's had opportunities to do it, Cody. He has had opportunities to do it. Um, and, yeah, uh, again, there are people in the chat, people online that say we're not holding him uh, responsible. We absolutely are. All you have to do is listen to the words that are coming out of our mouth. Uh, but one of the things is that um, that I've been saying is that this entire team is not playing contra complimentary football. To, uh, they're not helping each other win the football game. You have receivers uh, like Devin Funches that, that runs the wrong routes um, and, and that would have been a touchdown uh, if Devin Funches would have turned around and, and gotten his head around and put his hands on the ball. And then uh, yeah, uh, Cam Newton has has made some, some throws that he absolutely should have made. In fact, I'll start with that. Since I'm such the apologist, um, there is a. Um, I'm going to play the clip. I got right. it queued up right now. This is the Devin Funches. This was a strange play to me. Devin Funches, um, and I hope the clip works. It might be just taking a second for my. I didn't cut it very well. But Devin Funches runs this route, and uh, and it's not playing. For some reason. And I thought that Cam may as well have hit the dude in the head. Right? Is that it was in so it was so I guess it did I guess it didn't fully export. But Devin Funches is gonna run this route right here, guys. And um and he and Cam, I don't know if it was just a where the ball it wasn't that far away from him. I thought it was about to hit the dude in the head. He had not turned around. Uh, at all. Let me see if this other one works any better. I think they're the same clip, though. So, Cody, what is? it's a failure here. Is that true? True. Cam Newton has not been the hero. 
But there have been a lot of failures when it comes to this team. And uh, you got to say this, is Devin Funches has played so poorly this year, you're almost thinking each game he's lost a million dollars of his future contract. Lost money, and I believe that Devin knows it too. Uh, This is, you know, say whatever you want about Devin Funches. I never feel as though he doesn't care or that he doesn't want to be here or that he plays with an attitude or, or, or whatever. Um, I've never felt that way about Devin before, but, man, I did this one. Uh, I felt like uh, like Devin feels, you know, and this is something else I wonder if everyone else has noticed. His snaps have been limited. They are not putting him on the field as much as they previously were. Now uh, he's had a back injury that he's been having to deal with. Um, and th- there have been some other issues of his. But I believe that even the coaches now are telling him that they don't trust him as much as they once did. And I feel his attitude is now starting to show that as well. Um, yeah, Frustration not- maybe? What about this? Yeah. Lynn said in the chat room, this is a, is, a, is a disturbing comment and one that needs to be talked about. Devin Funches talking to talking about himself in the third person. And how annoying is it when someone talks about themselves in the third person, A, and what does that really tell you about the difficulty that they're having with struggling with all this stuff that now they have taken to viewing themselves as a, an outsider? This is not good. Devin Funches is, is, has not been good. There really just hasn't been anything good on this team and it's actually surprise actually there is one thing let's actually ron rivera cody let's cue up ron rivera here because ron rivera believes that yeah. there are some good things some promising things that could be seen in this cleveland game after a five loss stretch and it's hard for me to fathom what that could truly be but i got one person's name only that i will field in this here we go with uh, Ron Rivera talking about some of the opportunity or some of the positives to take away from the Panthers' fifth consecutive loss and potential ruining. Do I have it in the – do I got it in the field? Yeah, I have it. I have it. I'm just waiting for you to finish. Cue it up. Cue it up. That you, as a defensive-minded coach, you're always kind of looking at that side of the ball. But when you're there kind of in the, I guess, the central hub of everything, calling the plays, are you able to see kind of those sore spots a little bit clearer and see where things need to get fixed? Or is it kind of the same as, as you No, usual? this, I mean, what, what I saw from this game was, was promising. Um, probably the, the worst part about... Uh, Worst, but the worst part about specific things were, you know, it, it's tough if there are things that 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 you can see and can correct immediately, and a couple things are things that you can't. Those are things that come with time, with experience, with understanding, and we just got to continue to work and develop that. I don't know if it was in the red. So. These promising things, I think it was Lee Trotter who said in the YouTube chat, is Ian Thomas is a bright spot. You know, I think that that's nice to think that you could potentially have a fourth round draft pick who's going to turn in uh, to a who looks like he could be a contributor in the near near future going forward. And it seems that Cam Newton has a a pretty decent chemistry with him. 
But on top of this is that I think the other bright spot here is Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a damn monster. And I tell you this is that uh, you want to talk about someone who is the ultimate cam defender. It's got to be Christian McCaffrey because he's made this whole offense look actually way better than it truly is. And uh, Christian McCaffrey just continues to deal. If this is what people were expecting in his rookie season, and it's really starting to come to fruition. Yeah, and it's also a testament to why you never judge a player based off of their first year in the NFL. And Christian didn't have a bad year last year either, but now you're seeing what a player like that does for this offense, and more importantly, what it does for Cam Newton. I mean, having that that consistent check-down option. And, and listen, not even just that. I, I shouldn't have even said that first. His ability to run the football – between the tackles, bounce to the outside. He has great vision. I would say that in that draft class, not Leonard Fournette, not Alvin Kamara, there is not a running back in that class that means more to their football team than Christian McCaffrey does to the Panthers right now. And it's not even close in my mind. I think uh, we're going to go ahead and start getting into some of the cat calls because there's a lot of calls that would have been in the post-game show that came in that we're going to feature and and more people that have continued to call in. We got three, you know, we're going to do it in segments. We're not going to do all the cat calls at once. We're going to do part one and then we're going to come back, talk a little bit more of the team and as and respond to those conversations. And we still got the Dan Hatman interview ahead. So if you want to be a part of the show, you can call. The cat calls line, the number is 252-228-5098. You can leave a voicemail anytime. Uh, there is a three-minute limit, right? And uh, and you, we're going to keep these calls moving, and we've, we're so appreciative of you guys' support and uh, and helping us get through this, this difficult time. You can also be a part of the show through a more involved experience by using the Shindig app or access in the Shindig link via the Chrome browser. You can find that information in the show notes on YouTube and Facebook. All right, let's jump into this week's cat calls. What are your thoughts on cat calls? You shouldn't do that to somebody. And how did that make you feel? Uh, very uncomfortable. So how do you think cat calling makes the person feel? It feels good like that. Who's that cat sitting in the back corner with his face buried in his nose? Who's that kid that can use one? What's up, fellas? Ben from Harrisburg. Listening to y'all for a couple seasons now, and I just want to say, y'all do a great job. Keep it up. Love listening every week. Thanks, um, man. I just want to address something that I've been hearing a lot lately, and it just drives me insane. Um, so Cam Newton, he, I, I just don't understand the hate that people give for Cam Newton, especially coming from Panther fans. I mean, it just blows my mind. He is literally the best thing that we've ever gotten in this organization by a long shot. A long shot. I mean, Cam Newton. Like, imagine where we would be without him. Who's our best quarterback that we had before Cam Newton? We had Jake DeLone. Jake stinking DeLone. I mean, come on. He's literally the best thing that's ever happened to us. We would be a bunch of nobodies without him. 
without a doubt in my mind. I hope I'm playing the right cat calls. I don't think I think I'm playing last week's cat calls, dude. (laughs) I'm pretty sure those were last week's cat calls. Let me see what we got here. I don't remember. Hey y'all, you might. How y'all doing? This is G Cavasia. Hey man, that was a that. I thought we was gonna pull that win off, man. I am so damn pissed off that we didn't win that damn game. And that's it for Ron Rivera. That's it. Fire this dude, man. Fire this yeah, dude. Yeah, I think so. Just fire him because he lost the team, man. I mean, Cam did the best that he could. On, on a good note, Ian Thomas, that boy played his damn heart out, man. You know, he played his heart out, but it's over. I mean, unless we run out and some other people lose, but I don't see us going to the playoffs this year. And it hurts my, it hurts my soul to say that. It really does. But now six and seven at this time, unless we win out, unless we beat New Orleans twice and beat Atlanta and other teams start collapsing or whatever, could sneak in, but I seriously doubt it, you know. So, uh, you know, keep pounding, keep your heads up, but that game was horrible. This is, this is horrible. I can't believe we lost to a damn rookie. You know our damn defense fell off if we lose to a damn rookie. I hit anybody in the NFL. A damn and throwing bombs on, on you. Now, man. Throwing but, bombs uh, on you. Yeah. All right, so right there, Cody, the conversation goes to Ron Rivera. You know, Ron Rivera interestingly took over the defense, and the defense has not really improved clearly. And uh well, and you know, how do you improve something if it is a personnel issue? That is a question yeah. mark there. But there was some comments about Ron Rivera saying this after the game that they've been focusing on protect, preventing the big play over the top plays, and it's just not sticking with the players. And then there was another interesting moment in uh, when he said this, and it was reported on Twitter by Max Henson with Pan- with the Panthers organization, and then Panthers player Rashawn Golden, who has now deleted the tweet. Puts up a tweet with a waving couple of hands. And I got to wonder, my first instinct right there was, is this like waving like me, me over here, put me in, coach? Or is this waving goodbye to Ron Rivera? It has now (laughs) been deleted. But Ron Rivera, who has put himself now in the driver's seat of the defense, is even owning more of this, this downslide that way. Cody... I just wonder, it's hard to think that he can survive if we're the first team in history that goes from 6-2 and two to 6-10. and 10. Yeah, and I want to put something out there. Listen, I, I'm not – sometimes I'm superstitious and sometimes I'm not. But on, on cases like football, I try not to be superstitious. The Panthers have never had back-to-back winning seasons, okay? The even-year curse. Yeah, the even year curse, but it does not have to be that way. And the fact that we have not, and the fact that we have not had back to back winning seasons, in my mind, is on coaching. Three, Ron Rivera has had three winning seasons since he's been here in Carolina, out of eight seasons. Okay, so the man is under five hundred, and I'm not counting uh, 2014 where we made it into the playoffs, where the division was terrible. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's Ron 
has had the benefit of the doubt for a long time. And it's a benefit that he no longer has. Um, I, I, here's what I will say. And I think you might agree with me, Tony. I don't think Ron Rivera is fired mid season. I think they'll wait until after the season's over. And then, um, I, I honestly believe, especially if we lose out, yeah, you are in the last days of Ron Rivera as our head coach. So I want you guys to stick around, and if you if you can't catch all the show live tonight, I want you to go back and download the episode because we're going to talk with Dan Hatman in a little while. And one of the things, though, is about the timing of this and and is the timing too late to install a GM who can make a lot of dramatic changes. And he pointed to, and I'm starting to wonder, does Ron Rivera get one more year not because he deserves it or not because David Tepper wants to uh, or doesn't want to replace him. But with the idea that this is that the offense has shown some signs of, of excitement under North Turner. And if Ron Rivera goes, North Turner goes and Ron Rivera has demonstrated that he can coach a a defensive team. So in this, you know, you would think that the Panthers could turn it around defensively, but what you really want to do is bring in uh, – oh, you wonder if you're going to be able to bring in a GM right now who can hire a coach, who can install an entire new administration, whether it comes from doctors and scouts and all of that, and and get ready for free agency in the draft quick enough. That's a quick turnaround if you haven't already done it. And so you, you're almost wondering if you stick with Herney and Rivera, Herney through the draft – and after the draft, you bring in a GM, and then that GM, unless we win the Super Bowl, goes and gets his coach. So those are some things that we're going to be talking about with Dan Hatman. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls. The number is 252-228-1598. Yes, yeah, Jeremiah from Swansboro. I, I, you know I usually don't believe in curses, but you just can't make this season up. You can't make this shit up. I don't know what's going on, but I think Tepper's about to clean house. Thanks for doing everything you do and keep up the good work. Keep pounding. Appreciate yeah, you, man. Uh, uh, I've watched some of the defense. It did look bad. It did look bad, but I don't know. Um, we've also seen a lot of Ron Rivera teams that the defense has looked very dominant, very good. And you could say that that was maybe it has something to do with Sean McDermott. There is a possibility, too, that Sean McDermott gets fired in Buffalo. I don't think I think they could give him another year. But if that was the case and we're looking for a defensive coordinator that could bring back somebody familiar that we have confidence in uh, for that one year stretch. But I think it would continue to be a bridge. I think that if we lose out, especially, I think even if we get to. Uh, seven and nine, that that is going to solidify the decision about Ron Rivera and Marty Herney and say, we got to go a different direction. The question is, when is it best to execute that? And are you need your, are you, are you too quick on the draw? Keep going through these calls. Hey, C3 is Nova Black. Uh, man. What's up, Nova? Uh, I'm very, very frustrated with the team. I'm pissed off the season. Hey, it's whatever from here. It might as well stick cam. It's evident. 
that he having problems with his throwing shoulder. That's what it looked like to me. His balls don't seem to have the same velocity. Uh, um, I mean, I, I ain't making excuses or whatever. He ain't had a bad game, but man, uh, the defense, the mistakes, the penalties, there's no discipline, man, on this team. And it's just frustrating the hell out of me because we got the talent. And I'm sitting here looking at my team, look like we going steady. Then we get to the same point right in the middle of the third quarter where we start losing steam. And, and it seems like the guys just ain't playing to the end of the, all 60 minutes of football, man. And I, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm just hoping that they can, they can fix this shit somewhere along the line. It don't look too good, but man, I'm going to keep, keep positive and stay optimistic. I remember yep. that season, uh, we ended with what that boy named. I can't remember, but he used to play for the Dolphins. He was, uh, after the long went down or whatever. Matt Moore. <laughs> anyway, you guys, yeah. uh, keep pounding and, uh, keep the podcast going. I just wanted to get on here and vent my frustrations and my point. You guys have a great day. Hopefully I can tune in. All right. Thank you, Nova Black. We appreciate the support. And going to Cam Newton and the health of his shoulder, Cody, how do you think – to me it's clear that either this is either there is some sort of injury where there we don't know necessarily how how big that injury is, but he did mention there was a potential of surgery in a post-game uh, conference one day, and that was not after a game where – well, that was after the Tampa Bay game, I believe. But even if there isn't a major injury – or that worst, the worst case scenario is that is that his arm is about to fall off on its own. Where what's wrong with Cam Newton, and how banged up do you think he is? I don't know, man. Because really, there's there's a lot of evidence, even in the tapes that I can show you right now. I mean, Cam still fits balls into tight windows on time and accurate. Um, and I, I do want to show this one right here, right now, because this is this is not an easy play to make. And Cam puts this right where it needs to be, right on time. I mean, that's a 40-yard throw that Cam Newton just made off his back foot, because, again, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to step up into the pocket. Uh, oh, actually, no, he was able to step up right there. So you see, when he actually does have some time, he's able to fit the ball in where it needs to be. But that's not an easy throw to make right there. I mean, that's a 40-yard dime. So that kind of leads me to believe that maybe it's just a a duration thing. Maybe he's not um, able to make so many of these plays over the course of the football game. Um, I really no, don't bad. know what it is. That's not good news. That's even worse no, to me than a yeah. real injury. I mean, we're not we're not making things up. I mean, they're putting in our backup quarterback, Taylor Heineke. I mean, to to throw the hail mary when traditionally Cam Newton has one of the bigger arms in all the NFL. So I mean, yeah, it's definitely a problem. I, I just think that we don't know the severity of that problem. Because there are more clips that I can show tonight where Cam is fitting the ball into tight windows. He's throwing them on a rope. 
he still has the ability to do that. So, I mean, that's why I'm I'm as confounded, man. I got to disagree. I think that it's clear that he's struggling to do that. Like even that, like I think he would have whistled that 20 miles an hour faster two years ago. Right. Or wait, before the injury. I I don't know what's happened. You know, you got to wonder, is he aggravated? Has he fallen on it? Has he gotten tackled on it? Has the fatigue or, or the amount of reps that he's been throwing the ball has it re-aggravated that? Oh, please, in the chat room says uh, that it's t- that he believes it's a torn rotator cuff, which would be the same dang injury that it was before. But to me, yeah. there is something clearly going on where Cam Newton, I mean, he threw one pass to where it looked like the receiver didn't know exactly how far to come back, but it was like a duck that landed like 10 feet, 10 yards short. So I don't think this is either Cam Newton right now is playing with and, and if if this is the case now if it is just fatigue how can we be at a point Cody where we have called several games where we throw so much maybe it's out of necessity but they have not necessarily looked to protect Cam's shoulder through the game plan either Yeah and uh I, I want to kind of make something clear here uh, I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with Cam Newton. But, I mean, because there obviously is. You're not putting in the backup if he's 100% okay. But what I'm saying is that there are throws that are still high-level throws that he is still managing to throw successfully. And, I mean, you, you do see that on the film still. Now, what I'm saying, though, is, um, you know, if if it's, I am wondering, especially if we lose to New Orleans, and I mean, we've already talked about this, um, you know, uh, even a few a few different games ago, do you sit him? I mean, wh- when do you sit him out and say, listen, you know, we need to salvage whatever is left for a season when we actually have better hopes of doing something further into the playoffs? Because – it doesn't I'm, feel amen. that way right now. When I heard and, Ron Rivera say that we had 5% chance of making the playoffs, it almost sounded like he wanted to laugh at saying it. Yeah. Like yeah, he was like, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's mathematically correct. Until that number zero, we're going to keep fighting hard. But I really don't even barely believe that we should himself, which may be the nail in the coffin for Ron Rivera, is that Ron Rivera has never lost the team in the locker room down the stretch, even through tough times when we were calling, we've been through this before folks. We were there in 2012. We were there again in 2014 and, uh, and again in 2016 and so many ways, Ron Rivera is able to hold this team together throughout this. He has been a, a grounding force, a steady force. And that has not been the case. He looks shook up there a lot of times. Now, here's a comment from Mark Newton in the Facebook chat. He says, we will never win a Super Bowl with Cam Newton as our quarterback. Yeah, he's a he's big completion percentage and broke a lot of records as a quarterback, but he's not consistent when the game is on the line, nor is he good when pa- while passing the in the end zone. Despite him passing, the play calling has been terrible. They shouldn't have let Cam pass the ball within the five-yard line on the second and third down. Should have let CMC finish the job and run it. 
or let Cam run it in. I could go on and on about how badly we've been, but current, but that's what's on my mind. And you know, in the past, I want to fight that so hard. I is still that fight I don't. That. I, yeah, is I don't believe that Cam Newton is will be an impediment to us winning the Super Bowl. But again, like we started off in the show, Cam Newton's had some opportunities to be the hero. And he hasn't, and he hasn't been able to capitalize on those opportunities. In fact, as Ron Rivera would say, some missed opportunities there. Yeah, uh, there have been a lot of missed opportunities. And uh, what what baffles me is the success that McCaffrey has had in the red zone this year, the success that Cam Newton has had running the ball in the red zone this year. You're on the uh, on the goal line. The game is on the line. And it doesn't even dawn on North Turner to call the run for either of them. I don't know. I just don't understand that. And you're not uh, – Devin Funches, uh, you know, I, I I feel like there have been plays where Devin Funches should have been the primary read, and, and he hasn't been. Um, yeah, I'm, th- there's a lot of play calling that I don't love from our offense right now. But listen, I'll fight anyone and everyone to the death. This is not a better football team without Cam Newton. You put any other quarterback, I don't care who you're saying, Rodgers, Mahomes, I don't don't care right now. This team is not a better football team with another quarterback. It, it, It all boils down to we have to have better offensive line play. I'm not saying they're terrible all the time like people say that I say, but we have to have better offensive line play, and we have to have better routes run by our receivers other than just Curtis Samuel. And I'm willing to fight and die on that hill. I'll be the pariah. I don't care. Well, Cam Newton is is, going to be hard to find an alternative that would be superior to Cam. And he's had to deal with so he's done so much with so little throughout his career this year, you know, as he's been, he's been really great at so actually so consistent throughout the season. And really just, it it seemed like making good reads, doing the really limiting the inaccurate, like crazy dumb throws until we started to see maybe some signs of injury. But again, there has been some true opportunities late in games where he could have hit a guy, and it was at that point he made the mistake. And uh, and you know what is I want Cam to come back healthy and to hit that guy, so I don't got to ever deal with these questions again. <laughs> in a way, and, and is look is that uh, Cam Newton? Um, He's gonna he's gonna need to play better, just like the entire team. And I don't know if he can until he's healthy. All right, last call before the Dan Hatman interview, and we'll get back to the cat calls right after that. Oh, well, there it is. That's a wrap. That's it. Pack it in. Show's over. Much as I hate to say it, I think that's it. I think that's a wrap on the season for us. I think it was a wrap the week before, sadly. Not much way, mathematically, we could stay in the playoff. Unless I thought it was a wrap at Seattle. And the Seahawks also lose. <laughs> I'm not sure I see that really coming to fruition here. Um, geez. You know, times today the offense looked really good, and there's times where the offense looked 
awful, i.e. the end of the game. The end of the game, the offense looked deplorable, especially when it mattered. I mean, there were some big, some big plays here and there, but things just fell apart too rapidly. And the defense, I mean, they came up with some, some takeaways, and then it was just, I don't know, it seemed like at the wrong time they gave up here and there. I mean, that's, you know, you all, they look good, but at the same time, they allowed 26 points. You know, and, and this year, I don't think we've won a damn game when, where we've allowed more than more than 25 or 26 points. I think, well, no, the Bucks we beat them. But still, I mean, the majority of the games of the season where we allow more than 20 points, we lose. So, can't win games doing that. And I don't know. I, I think I, I wasn't sure before, but now I think Rivera might actually be gone, though. And I think it might be it. might be the last draw. And, and after seeing the offense today and last week, I'm kind of okay with the idea of Norv going to keep pounding boys. Love the show. Josh from Mass. Signing out. Thank you, Josh from Mass, who is in the chat room. We appreciate that call. I think you're right. And I also saw all the Lee three in the, ch- in the chat room. Welcome. First time in the chat room. Long time listener. He also just subscribed. He's going to turn his phone portrait mode and smash the thumbs up button like all 47 of you who are watching right now there are 34 of you who have not smashed the thumbs up button we would appreciate the help as we continue to grow and we appreciate having our buddy joe riolano in the house joe the panthers on a five game skid and it doesn't look like uh right now there's any coming back in fact i opened the show by saying i feel like i'm watching a pre-al gore commode flush one of those that takes like a good minute and 45 seconds to just, you know, it just keeps swirling and swirling and swirling and going down the drain. Joey, it's not a good day to be a Panther fan, to be honest. No, and you have to keep asking yourself just how long will this losing skid mark continue to grow? I don't know. Shaquille says without Sam Newton, we'd be zero and thir- uh, we'd be zero and thirteen, and that's probably <laughs> right. <laughs> that's probably right. All right. So, how low do you believe that? I mean, I I think Joey is that really down is the only way from here. I mean, maybe you. I think you can pull one off against Atlanta. I think it would be a miracle to beat the Saints with this team. Yeah, we're we're not. You know, a couple of things I noticed in this game. Um, for one, we could not get off the field on third down. That was the story of the season. Ask Rich Kingston, uh, who will tell you this: is we have just been horrific on third down all season. Yes, third and seventeen, and they hit a fifty-one yard bomb for a touchdown. Come on. And you know what? It was good coverage. That wasn't yeah. bad coverage. That was a freaking spectacular throw and an unbelievable catch. But and kind of a was, bad throw. Like a bad, I thought it was a bad, like they were all over. He forced it. He should not have thrown that far because the coverage was good. But he said, well, you know, that guy back there is really basically a linebacker and not playing safety. So his coverage skills are minimal at best. And he liked his chances. I would, too. A really good receiver against 
you know, a big safety that's almost a linebacker? Give me that. But uh, my, my point is this, that this has been the story of our entire season. This has been one thing after another, and the problem with that is if we're going to give up big plays, we need the offense to make big plays. And we just aren't doing it regularly enough. Cam is not putting the ball downfield far enough. We've got the speed to do it. He can't throw it that far. That's the problem. He should not be underthrowing Curtis Samuel, DJ uh, Moore. He should not be underthrowing these guys. But I it's believe clearly it's a shoulder issue. It's got to clearly yeah, be a shoulder no, issue. No doubt in my mind. Now, um, as far as you know, him needing to go back under the knife, that I'm not sure of. But there is certainly something wrong with that shoulder. And I feel if it is in need of surgical repair, he needs to do it now. So he has and uh, more than an entire off-season to rehab it because we know how long it took Andrew Luck to come back. Well, we saw with yeah. Cam Newton when he waited past, uh, when he waited into April right, uh, to get that last shoulder surgery. And whatever they tell you the timeline is for a guy to come back, it's never that. No. It's, it's always long. I think that only... I think the only person that has defied that is Adrian Peterson. Yes, and maybe Cam Newton has the the genetics that could def, that could put you on the right side of it. But is that you know Josh from Mass pointed out that this had that this could be linked back, and Joey, you've pointed this play out when uh, T.J. Watt just smashed him right on that shoulder mm-hmm. in that Pittsburgh Steelers game, and yeah. that was no, after that no, game. No. Yeah, it's after that game you see a real decline uh, in, right. in the play, the beginning of it that just continued to worsen and worsen. All right, the guys, the cat calls number is 252-228-5098. We're going to get back to your calls. We're going to get into a Dan Hatman interview. But before I do that, Cody, I know that you're excited to tell people that you are uh, are are capitalizing on your interests in the drafting world. Indeed I am. And first, uh, I wanted to give a, a, a very solid thank you to C3's very own Aaron, a.k.a. Mel Mayock, for recommending me to even do this in the first place. But I'm going to drop a link in the YouTube chat there. And every other Tuesday, I am going to be doing mock drafts for the Carolina Panthers, selecting for the Carolina Panthers on drafttech.com. This is something I've, I've been interested in for a long time. They've been uh, kind enough to give me the opportunity to showcase uh, my talents and drafting for the Panthers and changing um, everything to do with our team needs, things such as that. Um, it's every other Tuesday. There is a brand new draft on drafttech.com. I write up a little blurb, a little short to do about the Panthers where they are so far in their season, what to look forward to. And as it comes time for the draft, I'm going to have a lot of 
um, hot prospects to be looking out for. So I want to thank the guys at Draft Tech, Warren and Dean, who's been on the show before. And, um, yeah, I just want to let everybody know and check out drafttech.com. You know, it's a cool cool site and one that I believe that the way you found uh, your way to C3 was through a link on Draft Tech yeah, that absolutely that brought yeah, you to uh, the promised land. Yeah, um, Mel had posted a link to the C3 show in the chat, and ever since I came here, that was uh, that that was it, man. So uh, full circle. And again, I want to thank uh, you guys for having me on the show and uh, Draft Tech for letting me on to do this. Uh, I'm excited. All right, man, that's great. Great opportunity. It's going to be fun to see. Uh, and especially now, you know, that hasn't, that didn't matter to us a ton in when we were 10 and 6. Didn't matter to us a ton in 2015 when we were whatever, 15 and 1 or, and then going on and winning playoff games in the NFC Championship. But now, when you're six and whatever we are, six and seven, is that where we're at? Yeah. The draft is pretty losing- fun now, huh? Yeah, yeah we have a losing record. Draft- we're six and seven. Yep, the draft is on our minds. All right, guys, go ahead and smash that thumbs up button. Subscribe. Make sure if you're on the RSS feed listening on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, we're going to be migrating feeds, and, and everything's going to be working just fine, but uh, make sure everything stays up to date. Uh, let's go up right now. We had the opportunity because uh, this team now is in serious consideration of of replacing a coach and probably an ideally cleaning house when it comes to a GM as well, because not because of Marty Herney's done a bad job uh, in, in his return, but because uh, piecemealing it together might not be the best solution. So I reached out to Dan Hatman. And to get to poke his brain because he's like a professional on understanding and studying GMs. Let's go ahead and cue that up, Cody. Part one of Dan Hatman interview. I'd like to welcome Dan Hatman to the C3 Panthers podcast. He's director of scouting and development for the Scouting Academy. Dan, thanks for taking some time to discuss um some of the I would I would describe as the the harder to pinpoint aspects of the NFL with GMs. Oh, it's uh, it's the man behind the curtain, right? <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everyone tries to figure out uh, you know what goes into it and what makes a good one and how do you find one and how do you figure out if they're doing a good job and all those kind of questions. So no, it definitely becomes a difficult one. It's very mysterious, and and when it, especially for it being so important to the entire process. So I reached out to you because of your work on potential GM candidates that I ran across on Inside the Pylon, and I also have read parts of your master's thesis. And I got to say, I'm jealous that uh, because I don't think anyone but my mother has read my master's thesis. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I would say that the topic here certainly lends itself to a, a slightly broader audience than most. <laughs> yeah, uh, wig, the diffusion of wig ideals in revolutionary America is not usually the uh, the topic people are googling all day. But uh, let's. <laughs> I, I'm talking about this. Is look the recent struggles in Carolina with Ron Rivera. Oh, Ron Rivera has come under tremendous fire, and we kind of have a bizarre situation with our front office. Where, 
Uh, do you think that if the Panthers are considering a coaching change, that this really means rethinking the front office entirely? And when does that process really start if it is shifting to earlier? The the trick to this whole thing is that ownership piece of it. You know, obviously, when we kind of observe football from the outside, we usually get to that GM spot and we we stop there and we discuss it a lot. And I want to on the on the call here today, but ultimately that guy is hired by the owner, right? And so that's the the linchpin of this whole thing. When when do they feel like they are ready for a change? What might they be looking for? Typically, we find that existing ownership, if they're going to make a move there, tend to go what I call like a 180 move from there. So if you brought in someone with a certain background and pedigree and it doesn't work out, you usually don't double down and do that again, right? right? As human beings, we usually go in a different direction. Okay, well, that didn't work. So let's go and use this set of parameters and this set of values to go look for a candidate. The interesting piece here is a brand new owner, right? So he has no... There's no objective evidence of what he'll do. We can try to look at time in Pittsburgh and say, okay, we'll use Pittsburgh as a model. You know, understands that family, been a part of ownership groups. Um, you know, that's where my understanding is David's been formative years. But at the same time, we had that in going into Cleveland. You know, so when they got a new ownership group came in, when ha- Jimmy Haslam bought that team, he had been a part of the Pittsburgh ownership group. And so the assumption was maybe he'll go with a Pittsburgh style model and, you know, they'll hire someone and those guys will be there for 12 years. Well, Jimmy's in like his fifth regime since he's on the team. Right. So I have no idea what someone like David Tepper is going to do. Um, if the Jason Lock and Fuller report recently um, is, has merit, then we could be looking at uh, a total teardown San Francisco style a couple years ago when, they're like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to hire our GM fresh, our head coach fresh. We're going to marry those two people at the hip. They'll come in together. They'll leave together. It's up to them to figure it out. And personally, if you're going to go down this path, right? So if uh, David Tepper gets to the point where he says, you know what? I want to bring in someone to lead my football operations that I have personally hired. I have vetted. They're my person. Um, I believe in them then if you're going to go down that path, whenever you bring a new personnel person on board, other than Dave Gettleman, there is no track record of the existing head coach making it even a calendar year. Even in Green Bay, where Brian Gutekunst was an internal promotion to general manager, Mike McCarthy didn't make it a calendar year as their head coach. So if David Tepper is going to go down the path and he says, I want my GM, then I would recommend get your GM and your coach. Either you can say, listen, I'm not going to mandate you keep Ron. You can interview others. Consider if you choose to keep Ron, then at least that's your your choice as the GM. I'm not going to force it upon you. Like it sounded like Hugh Jackson was forced upon John Dorsey last right, year. Right. And that model of tying the two together, as Lewis Riddick, Lewis Riddick says, bring them in together, kick them out together, I think it decreases that infighting. We saw this with Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly not that many years ago, and then it was Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh. We've seen this stuff, and not, not in Carolina, but we've seen this stuff in other places where a head coach and a general manager start to fight. They start to position for power. It becomes a 
save your ass mentality, and it's not good for the team, right? You have the, those two individuals in competing camps as opposed to being on the same page. You're not going to get past that. So, again, I'd go back to if you're going to make the move at GM, I think you have to make the move at head coach and at least allow the general manager to pick their person, even if it is Ron Rivera. Allow them to pick their person, but marry them together. You guys are now together. You're a pair. And if we ever have to fire one, we're firing both. Yeah, so th- you two better be best friends and make this thing work. Um, do you do you feel that an owner at this point is going to? Um... All right, so it says Cody that we've lost the audio on our on our interview. I don't know how that got muted. Hopefully, they can hear me now. It says um, our stream I... is is playing fine. So. Can you hear me, folks? Can you hear my very white voice? Oh, they're saying it's me and my computer? Unbelievable. How is it me? It Yo, says we're streaming. I hear you. I hear you on the uh, on the YouTube video. And yeah, Tim Tizzy says it's okay. back. All right. Okay. Well, I'll play. We'll get back into that interview. I'm going to play it through a different uh, player to make sure that we don't run into that problem here. But right there, let's just go ahead and respond to those initial comments. That's what I like to hear there, Cody, is the idea that this team is uh, or that the way to particularly move on from this would be to pair guys who believe in each other and live and die together. And he pointed out some good, uh, some interesting examples of this, of where this has been problematic in, with the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, I think you could say the same thing has happened with the New York Jets. He may have referenced them as well with Todd Bowles and uh, whoever that other guy, was, whoever their GM is. So, Cody, you, is to me, it's so important to pick the GM and to have a guy in place there rather than trying to find the coach because not many G not many uh, GMs are coach GMs. Like say Bill Belichick is in new England. No, they're really not. Um, I, I honestly think that you, uh, you, you might never see a, a situation like Bill Belichick where, where you're both of them. Uh, you know, not many people have that type of resume that he does, but I mean, think of what we talk about all the time. So this has now been two weeks in a row that Vernon Butler has been a healthy scratch. Uh, I mean, we, we have talked about Star Latulale and just guys that just don't contribute to the team, and, and they're just, you know, who knows where. Uh, it's one of those things where you have to do a lot of different things as a GM. You have to be a talent evaluator. You have to uh, manage the cap. You have to – uh, you know, talk to the owner. There are so many different things that you have to do that I would even make the case that if we have a new general manager, which I do hope that we do, um, I think Marty Herney has done a good job in the first round, but I, I think the Tepper era needs to have new blood in the front office and in the head coaching position. Um, I, I want someone that is going to put players on this team that are going to make us younger and give us the opportunity to compete in our division. And I, I honestly would like a, a new set of eyes in our front office to be able to do that. 
For me, guys, it's not the fact that Herney has been bad. In many ways, I've been a supporter of of what Herney can't. I think he's gotten a bad rap of being a bad GM from those end years in his first stretch. I thought he was able to come in and do some nice things, not only through free agency, but it really uh, did. had a fine draft, one of the better drafts it looks like for the Carolina Panthers in recent memory. But for me, it's not replacing him because he's been the weak link, but because it's time for a new future and a new vision, not one that started in 2001 with Jerry Richardson and the legacy of that, but a a firm and decisive look of how to go ahead. Let me see if we can play this interview. I think I got it queued up right here for you guys, pretty close to where we left off. Advising the owner. Very rarely uh, do I hear ownership groups or owners individually attacking the process by themselves. Right. They usually have uh, counselors in it. Maybe it's a team president. I know when like, Chicago went through their their last general manager search that ended in uh, Ryan Pace getting the job. Ted Phillips, their president, was heavily involved. We don't know what that's like in Carolina, right? Danny Morrison's not there. Tina Becker's not there. So, you know, is David Tepper going to hire someone that's going to be the president of the team? Uh, well, he did just hire, background? he did hire a president recently in the past maybe four months, and it was a guy who uh, was like – president of arsenal before something to that effect okay uh so i mean it was like it 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 seems that he was brought in mostly for having a good vision of how to brand the team and how to make that from the business logistics side not necessarily with a tremendous amount of football background so i'll take the position then and that let's say that person has um doesn't have a, a strong american football background and as such, they're not going to be an advisor on this. Then who is David Tepper talking to? What other owners has he befriended along the way? What counsel is he receiving from them? Is he calling to a NFL career advisory panel and using the Bernie Accorsi's and Charlie Casserly's and people of that uh, clout, Bill Polian's of the world that have been advising some of these candidacies in the past few years? Is he calling a group like Corn Ferry? Um, who's been doing this work on the outside, what agents, uh, you know, have any influence in this stuff, that advisory, that, that influx of information to me becomes critical because once that GM, or I'm sorry, that owner gets hyper-focused on an individual, you know, it's their decision. Like I want to get this person and and to your question, if it's a coach, then you see the process change and you'll see, you know, an ownership group, they'll start doing what they call, you know, um, we're going to run both searches simultaneously. We're going to run a head coach search and a GM search. And then we've seen those kind of things go through. And then the GM search finishes like a day or two earlier. That person's named and then they supposedly have some say in, but it's owner, already been determined. if the owner comes in and says, Hey, we really like this head coach. Do you think you can work with them? Most GM candidates, if they want that job, are going to be like, no, I can't work with him. He stinks. i got to bring in my own guy because it might deflate your own candidacy. It kind of becomes self-fulfilling in that way. So, again, I go back to the, the, the biggest mystery from where I sit is who is David Tepper listening to in terms of what a successful franchise can and should be? And is he adopting a previous model? Is he just going to be 
reactionary and following some other team's leaders, he going to say, I want to put together a franchise that differentiates itself from the rest of the league. We're not going to chase anybody else's tail. We're going to go be a leader in this space, in which case the sky's the limit. To me, that is really hits on what I want to see happen. And I don't know if, if there's going to be changes made, and I'm not necessarily calling for changes to be made. But I do think it's important to have a vision of where you want to go and how you want to attack it rather than just haphazardly reacting. And so if David Tepper was talking to you, how would you pursue it? And let's just assume that this was going we're going to revamp everything. How would you advise him to target whether a GM or a coach, because I've looked at the list and I got to say is that it seems like if, if hard, if coaches, good coaches are hard to find, it seems like good GMs are even harder to find and people are scared to really go after it and try a new guy. We, you got an offensive coordinator in Carolina and North Turner and been many, many places and been successful as an offensive coordinator. His head coaching stops have not always follow the same level of success. And then the narrative becomes, well, maybe there are people that are just good coordinators and not necessarily good head coaches. Well, if that logic goes, then it stands to reason that there are people that are good scouts, meaning they can sit in a room, watch film, go conduct character and background assessments, collect the relevant information, present the player, and recommend them in a valuable spot to be selected, whether it's a free agency move or a draft move or what have you, they'd be good scouts. They don't necessarily make good GMs because the job of a GM is no longer just scouting players. In fact, most of the scouting is done by others. Most GMs don't get to sit in a room in isolation and just grind film. Most of them have to deal with copious amounts of other things that come across their desk and delegate scouting work to trusted lieutenants. So to me, the GM position is about decision-making. It's about personnel selection, not just the players, but do you know how to pick a doctor? Do you know how to pick a trainer? Do you know how to pick a coach? Do you know how to pick a scout? Then do you know how to pick them? Do you know how to develop them? Do you know how to get the most out of them? Do you know how to build a culture where they trust each other, where you can get good information, where you're open to new ideas, pushing boundaries? And we've seen people that were held up as excellent scouts not be good GMs. And then watch other people that no one really knew what was going to happen all of a sudden kind of get their shot and they were good GMs because they have those requisite skill sets. So to me, I think football operations, which includes your scouting department, but a few other verticals, you got to hire that person first. So typically I'd recommend go GM first because they're going to see a lot, oversee a lot of things. And then again, um, like San Francisco did, I'd be recommending Allow that person to pick their coach, all right, so it's not forced upon them. If you're going to hire someone to run all personnel, allow them to run all personnel. And then, but tell those people, you don't get multiple coaches. You're not going to sit here, we're going to be on our third coach, you're going to keep throwing guys under the bus, trying to save yourself, saying, oh, it's their fault. You pick them, that's your coach, you ride or die with them. All right, that's Dan Hatman. Uh Director of Scouting Development for the Scouting Academy. He's worked with several front offices. That's part one of the interview. I'm going to be playing part two of the interview in a little while. We're going to get back to the cat calls. And then I'll also release the full interview 
because these are just kind of the two main nuggets that I think were that we could devote part of the show to. But this was the over. This was a thirty-five minute interview with an individual who who works and who has researched and studied how to the organizational side of teams. And his and his def, and, and his master's thesis was on GM responsibilities in the salary cap era and some different things about that. So it's a great interview. We're going to get back to that. But, Cody, I know you like to hear this. My man said at this point, he said, being a GM is being more than a scout. It was like Cody had heard the interview before, and he hadn't. Cody, this is about decision-making. This is about uh, being a, a person who knows how to court talent. And that is a talent itself how to get talented people, how to identify talented people in the scouting department from A to B or A to Z and to get the most out of them, like you said. Really, to me, this is the hidden story right here is that who cares about changing a coach if you have an unsettled GM issue? Yeah, and uh, I mean, one, kudos on the interview, Tony Dunn. I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, listen to guys like that who know the insides and outs of the business. I could listen to that kind of stuff for days. Um, also, I didn't even know that the GM has to pick the trainers and the doctors. Like, I had no idea about any of that stuff. Uh, really fascinating stuff right there. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things that a general manager is over everything is a leader. You know, you have to believe that this guy – I mean, he, he's the commander of the army. He's given the marching orders. You know, he's d- determining the game plan, the plan of action. Um, you know, he, he decides um, even during the season what scouts are going to what game to look at what player. Uh, they, there's just so much decision-making involved that these general managers, they have to be so sure of every single thing that they do that leadership kind of comes along with the job. You cannot second guess yourself or the people that you have put in place to run your football team, like your coaches and your scouts. Um, fascinating stuff right there. Joey, the the thing that brought this to my mind is that a lot of fire has come to uh, on, on Ron Rivera. He's the guy that's gotten up to the podium. In fact, one of the people we have not heard from as much is Marty Herney. Marty Herney, I feel like, would make relative appearances. Mel Mayock used to always refer to this as what he liked about him as he would go on weekly radio and talk. And he did earlier in the season when they were doing well. I have not heard a peep from Marty Herney in this, <laughs> in this interim time. But, Joey, firing David Tepper alone – I mean, firing David Tepper, firing Ron Rivera alone – does not fix the situation is that if you're just going to bring in a person to appease the fans, that is not a deliberate way of handling the situation. So if you are the Carolina Panthers, is this something that you are interested in doing is for better or for worse, making a distinct change in the direction of the team through a GM change and just saying, thank you for your service, Marty Herney. Um, you're asking me if I would do this. Do you think um, that that's where we're going to be at? If I, it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. 
I'm inclined to say yes. Um, I, I just think, um, Honey maybe was asleep at the wheel, um, and, and putting this team together, you know, expecting, having unrealistic expectations for certain players, um, I think, I think Tepper may see that and, and want to move in another direction, bring in a fresh set of eyes. Um, you know, uh, Herney knows all these guys. Uh, he's been with them, you know, numerous years. So he's extremely familiar and has relationships with these guys where you bring somebody new in who, uh, you know, just looks at these guys basically as an asset and, and can move pieces that he doesn't think fit, uh, the direction he wants to take the team in. So, I mean, I could easily see him, um, uh, bonding Yeah, and I don't think that Herney's done a bad job. Is that I and I just have got to wonder here is if we gotten the max out of uh, you know Herney. What I think would be a mistake is is to fire Ron Rivera and then to let Herney be the conductor of the next fu- the future of of the Carolina Panthers because he did hire Ron Rivera in the first place, and so right. I just feel like so many ties to the Jerry Richardson legacy in so many ways that it's not got to be, I think Kearney has done an admirable job, but you're right. There are some serious holes on this team that have caught up with us uh, faster than they expected them to. But I think he's done a fine job. And I think it's like one of those is thank you very much for your service. But if we are going to make a change, this has to be a thoughtful and a thoughtful change. And I don't believe that Tepper will make changes without a clear plan where he feels what, I mean, this guy has not been reckless throughout his life. He didn't become a billionaire by being reckless, maybe by being bold, but not by being reckless. So, um, all right, here, let's get back to the cat calls. Let you guys direct this show. I feel like I can hear Joe's audio here. Um, or my, my, the echo, but, uh, then the numbers two, five, two, 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 eight, 50, 98. You can be a fan. You can be a part of the C3 Panthers podcast. Leave a message anytime. We'll get you on the show. Let's go back and see what you guys got to say. We're going to come back to Dan Hatman. Got some good stuff to do. Trying to break this up in a way that uh, keeps the show moving though. Hey, C3, it's Nova Black again. Hey, even though I know what. How about Aaron Rodgers and that whooping they put on the Falcons? At least that's a good part of the day. How about that? <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank you, Nova Black. Let me the, let me uh, hold on. Let me just say okay. No, let me just say one thing right right here. You can look at it that way. Yeah, the Falcons lost, but the Falcons are even more out of it than we are. So what that actually means right now is every time the Falcons lose while we lose, that means they get a better draft pick than we do. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, half a dozen of the other, whatever the saying goes, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, everyone does love to to see the Falcons uh, eat it. So there is that. Continue. You guys go ahead and turn your phones to portrait mode. Smash that thumbs up button. Giving us a like on the show helps us rise the ranks. And right now we've got almost 50 people watching 22 thumbs up. And I know you guys like the show. It's free. It don't cost you anything. Be a good Panther fan and keep pounding. Keep pounding that thumbs up button. Here we go back to the cat calls. I bet you this this sounded like Brother Herbert. Just want to really want to hear what y'all have to say about the end of that game. First of all, Ron Rivera should be fine. We all know that. I mean... He took over the defense, and it didn't really look much different. Uh, Luke Keekly, don't understand what y'all are seeing. Luke Keekly has been Luke Keekly. Yes, he's missed a couple of tackles here and there. I get it. But he's still a monster. I don't know what y'all are saying. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm just not looking at it the right way. Uh... And Cam Newton, like, I mean, I, I want, I can't wait to hear, I'm, I, I'm excited about this show because I can't wait to hear what excuse you're going to give me about Cam Newton. When it came to big, making big plays and everything like that, he underdrew Curtis Samuel for a wide open touchdown. I'll give him his shoulder, okay. If his shoulder is is hurt as bad as what they uh, they're making their own, okay, he ended up with Curtis Samuel. But what about when he threw the ball behind Ian Thomas? What about the pass, which it wasn't an easy throw, but in the end zone with Jerry's right on fourth down, you have to make that throw. And then why are we still going to Devin Punches? I have no idea, but he threw it too high, which, by the way, why are we doing the Devin Funches? Devin Funches hasn't made a play in how long? Anyway, guys, that, that's just about my thoughts on the game. And, um, uh, I say much love, and I can't wait for the show, and I'll keep coming. Well, yeah, as I think as it comes back is again is that Cam Newton has not won us a couple of games that he could have, and that is has been disheartening despite uh, the the what has been rather consistent play I feel like through the season, um, and and so, but our offense has continued to put up significant amount of points. Whether it's that's because of the because of Cam Newton or in spite of Cam Newton, I'll let you decide that, Brother Herbert. Christian McCaffrey has been sensational. Cam Newton uh, has been uh, had this team putting up some offensive points, and we have not been a team that's necessarily had to come from behind, I feel like, all season long. There have been some moments, but really the defense has been been so porous in allowing, uh, like, like someone said earlier, rookie to, you know, put up that many points. You know, Cam Newton can't get out there and play defense, but he did continue, uh, you know, have late game opportunities, and he has not been able to capitalize those on those season on that this season. Could be a combination of the injury, uh, could be a combination of frustration, or just could be a combination of is that Cam Newton is not uh, perfect. But he's, he's absolutely not perfect. But 
it's time we head to the film for one play here because Brother Herbert <laughs> is, is, is specifically talking about this play. And before we go any further, listen, I want to say, and I, I told this to Tony before the show, I am willing to live and die on this on this hill. We have a bad offensive line. I don't care what anyone says. Chris Clark is another Matt Khalil. If, even if you hate Matt Khalil, the difference between them is negligible. I'm sorry, it just is. But on on this throw, everyone says, "Oh, Cam Newton underthrew, uh, he underthrew Curtis Samuel, and he should have stepped up into the pass." Would someone please tell me or show me, please, how exactly Cam Newton was supposed to step up into this throw? There literally isn't anywhere for him to step up. Van Roten misses his assignment completely. Khalil desperately tries to come back to save the play, mm-hmm. and Cam mm-hmm. Newton still puts it where it needs to be. How about this? Curtis Samuel needs to come down with that football. Now, you can say I'm biased all you want. That's just the film. There was nowhere for him to step up into that throw. So if you want to say I'm an apologist, that's fine. But don't be mad at me. Be mad at the offensive line that doesn't give our quarterback enough time to do a damn thing. And I mean it when I say it. Christian McCaffrey got there. You're right, Cody. I mean, you're right on both ends. He didn't have anywhere to step up. And the ball didn't get there. Uh, Samuel just flat out dropped it, didn't make the play. Um, However, I think a 100% healthy shoulder cam is able to make that throw, leaning back to Samuel on the run. There's no doubt in my mind. I've seen him do it a hundred times before. Um, I think all this does is lend credence to our thought that that shoulder is seriously in this, in, 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 in serious trouble. He should not be playing on it. I really believe that. That's what I, um, I think you're right, Joey, is, and this isn't excuse making because look, as all I've said over and over in this show is that Cam Newton has not been able to capitalize on late game opportunities because while the defense has been cruddy at times or a lot of times is that they also have tended to show up in in some moments where it is helpful. You think back to Detroit, you got the ball, you get down there, you have an opportunity to win the game. You don't get it. Um, At the same time, you've had a similar uh, with Seattle. Couldn't, couldn't get past that field. You know, then you go and kick the field goal and turn the ball back over to them. And they got to go like 10 yards to get a field goal. You had that. I felt like we kept driving and driving in in the Tampa Bay game, and then Cam Newton kept throwing interception after interception. And mm-hmm. and I think here in this late game, again, is that with with all of the cruddiness of it comes to the performance of the Panthers and the Panthers' defense, you're still in a range to you're, – you're down six points with the ball, go down there and score a touchdown. What we have is this, is we've had Cam Newton, who is a, is a remarkable talent, who has played, um, who I think has, has played a lot better with Norv Turner than he has with in the past in some cases. But 
this is not the best season. This is not Cam Newton's best season. And he kind of jinxed, him, jinxed himself when he said, I'm playing the best football ever. Because mm-hmm. it turns out that a combination of an injury and a bad skid is that he's not playing his best football ever. And right now, um, this is on Cam. It's also on the offensive line. It's also on the defense. It's also on the coaching. It's not one entity. But here is the one problem with the offensive line, guys, is that we can single out Chris Clark as a, as a nobody who came off his couch. It's understandable for that. Is Matt Khalil was paid a ton, uh, and yeah. and he he's not even allowed. He's he's on like janitorial duty for the Carolina Panthers at the moment. That's what I would make if I paid somebody fifty million dollars and they ended up not playing in games. I would make them like clean up the the stands in the field. Like, sorry, you're getting paid, bro, and you'd be happy about it. But I think really one of the real weaknesses of this year has been uh, the play of Ryan Khalil. And I don't think he's bad. Is that anytime you criticize someone, you're going to be like, oh, you're criticizing, criticizing. But I think this is Ryan Khalil's finally aged out. Mm-hmm. He's getting, you know, and and he's having trouble. So here is that this is on, you know, Cam has, Cam has had an opportunity to play better and he has not done it. Um, and, and so if that is enough criticism, if that's not enough criticism, Brandon Herbert, I don't know, you know, what else I can really say on that to appease uh, the masses on that. But you're right, is that is that this is not Cam Newton at his best. Let's put it uh, as let's be clear with that. Next call. Yeah, this is Papa Brigham, Wilmington, NC. And I had to get my thoughts out right after the game. I just wanted to uh I just wanted to let everybody know that it's over. You know, it's a wrap. And don't, <laughs> I agree. Don't, I want to say don't feel bad, but I know we all feel bad and we should damn feel bad because we garbage. But halfway <laughs> through the game, I was thinking to myself, would it be better to win and go seven and six and, you know, continue to limp into the playoffs and have this fiasco of whether or not Ryan Rivera is a coach? Or would it be better to just take this L? Hell, we already took four L's. What's the fifth one? So we did. We dropped this fifth L and I think, um, I think we all need to realize something. I think it's time for a new era in Carolina. Y'all remember when, when we had Jimmy Clausen and it was right before we got Cam and the whole Ron Rivera squad. That, that team in that version of the Carolina Panthers changed drastically when we got a new culture change with Ron Rivera and Cam Newton. And I'm just feeling like it's time to get a, a new culture change in Carolina. Um, no sweat to Ron and his staff. I think he'll have a job next season. Uh, I, I still stand by what I said. He's the greatest coach in Panther history. But for real, it's, t- it's time for something new. I said it before. You don't come back for letting the team put 52 on you. Pittsburgh did this to us. And um, now our season is over and it's complete. I think there's a lot of things we should do. I think we should um, put several of our starters up and see what we got in other players. Um, Cam Newton is obviously hurt. I don't know why they why they doing that man like that. He definitely missed that throw, the last throw. When we, were, when we were in the end zone, he should have scored that touchdown. He missed that. How many times have we seen that this season? We've seen it way too many times. He's hurt. Why do we keep letting the man play hurt? Why didn't we get that field goal off? Why was there a delay of game penalty and we had to go back and not even kick a field goal? Why on third down, third and goal, did Ron Rivera yes. or North Carolina, whoever was in charge of the decision, decide to run the ball there, playing safe, yes. playing scared? This is why we need to do that. I'm sick of it. Watching Panther football this season has been stress-inducing, anger-inducing. Me and my shawty been fighting. Everything has just been wrong. So 
feel better fans knowing that next year will be different. I honestly believe that this game was the nail in the Ron Rivera coffin. And, you know, I wish him luck. And I wish my team more luck. So everybody keep your head up. We'll get them next season. That right there is the call of the night so far. Is uh, yeah. is there, this is that's the thing is that if we waste too much time talking about uh one uh, the Cam Newton look here's the thing is Cam Newton ain't going nowhere, uh yeah. and if he is going somewhere that's what you should be crying about at the end of the day uh because that means he's hurt and and something has gone south that we have, we're not going to be able to use them. But this is a calamity of errors. That's what it is. It's a calamity of errors. And and Cam Newton was part of the problem, not part of the solution in this case. So great call there. That was Papa, Papa Brigham, I believe. Thank you for that call. Keep pounding. Um, What's up, guys? JC out of Newport, NC, calling in after our fifth straight loss and feeling just at a loss for words. I know coach is going to throw out that word, the term, uh, missed opportunities and going to be all right. We had too many opportunities to tie, take the lead in that game and we just missed it. So I guess we got to win out, but I don't see that happening. I really don't want it to happen at this point. Let's just move on, start to let's rebuild this thing. We got some key pieces. We can come back next year even stronger. I'm gonna keep on pounding. I hope you guys do the same. Out. I think where I don't think we're as far now. I think it's gonna be the pieces we do have to replace. Guys are gonna be difficult. There's gonna be some offensive line that you're gonna to have to figure out in a quick minute. Um, and the defensive line is gonna take potentially an entire overhaul in some ways. And and you know I don't know who's safe other than KK Short. Um, so. There, but it isn't out of the realm of possibility with the talent that we had. You saw DJ Moore continue to showcase in this game. You've continued to see Curtis Samuel, I feel like, grow as a player. Uh, you know, some uh, things to be happy about with Ian Thomas. Uh, to me, the real issue is, um, and one that is very uh, dis- disconcerting to me, is one of Brother Herbert's people that he hates, is that is James Bradbury has not progressed as fast and as well as I wanted to see him progress. And now I'm starting to have suspicions about him being able to continue to get better and to play in a long-term role as a number two corner. So not a lot, a lot of pieces to replace, but a lot of times teams can do this quicker than you think. Joey, are there enough linchpin uh, talents on this team to build around quickly enough, or is this going to be a multi-year potential rebuild? Yeah, I think we have enough talent where we can just add some pieces and and be right back in contention. And, and not only that, but it's young talent. So, you know, next year we can add a few, and the year after we can add a few. So I can easily see us being contenders for the next several years. Um, I don't think... We're doing a complete overhaul. I think we're doing uh, maybe a, a relaunch. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a relaunch. A retool. Yeah. 
Well, we got to get a pass rush, and we're going to have to get a pass rush in a hurry. And I don't think that the draft is an answer for that qu- quickly enough. Is I don't think that that means that we don't focus on in the draft. Like we could use a number one draft pick, or first round draft pick on defensive end, and get one in free agency. That could be what we need yeah. to do. Because right now it looks like my Addison has hit a wall, and and we really were foolish if anything, to believe that Pepper and to want Peppers to take on the role that he's taken in this year. That's, I think, an unfair ask to him in many ways. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, 100%. I even think that you can extend that to Mario Addison as well. He's been a very good player for us, but I don't think that he's ever been this terror coming off of the right side of the edge. So then when you pair that with Julius Peppers, um, who is now older, yeah, it's become a problem. Um, one of the things that I really, uh, I'm really interested in is what Dallas does with Demarcus Lawrence. Because let me tell you, if he hits the free agent market, I say you give that man the bag to come here to Carolina, draft another one, get a guard, get an offensive lineman. And, yeah, I don't see there being any reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, get right back into this. All right. Uh, last, uh, we're gonna, we still got some more cat calls to go. We'll get this one short one in, and we'll get back to Dan Hatman. A lot of good stuff. What we're going to be talking about in the next part of the interview, you guys want to stick around for this. Dan Hatman is going to give us some candidates that could potentially be on the radar for a GM replacement and how the timeline of something like that could go. All right. The number is 252-228-5098. Make sure to smash the thumbs up button. Hit subscribe if you're on Facebook. Like, share retweet, do whatever you can, because look, right now we're all suffering and what we need is to group suffer together. And we want people to join the C3 podcast to get that free therapy with us each and every Tuesday night. Where did our Panthers go, Tony? (laughs) Cody, Joey, where did they go? Please tell me what happened. <laughs> the despair. The despair. I think here is that uh, maybe we were just – I, I want to say we were misled in those first six games. Um, but is that it's been a combination of getting old quick throughout the season and uh, maybe a little early fortune. But really, it's just been a fa- – this is a team – nobody looks right. Ron Rivera looks defeated, right? The team looks defeated half the time they're out there. And while we're talking about Cam Newton potentially playing through a major injury again, you got guys that are barely running after the tackles. Luke Keekley's the only guy out there running 100% full speed, it feels like. I mean, Thomas Davis looks old. Everything just looks bad. And and the idea that this is that we're about gap assi- Ron Rivera said we're a gap assignment defense and discipline. Well, gap assignments, I would think, is mainly built upon linebacker play supporting the defensive ends, and that's not good news either. If I, if that's where our run fits are supposed to be at and we're not making those, nothing is going right. And that's the point I think I've always made about uh, with even with Luke Keekley is that Luke Keekley has never looked anything less than superhuman. I don't even remember ever maybe one or two passing plays that he missed the coverage in his rookie year. He has been uh, unshakable 
but he's even made mistakes at times. And it's not like he's a bad player. And, and you guys exaggerate my criticism so much. But I just believe this is like, even when Luke Keekley at times has looked human, that's, that's, it's, we don't know. It's a systemic problem right now. And it, and it, and it goes so deep. It's kind of hard to figure out which one it is. All right. Back to Dan Hatman. I think he's going to give us some insight on some potential guys that we could be courting for GM if that is the way we go. I do think that, uh, some things is that, like you said, he's such an unknown. Because of, especially from the world and the the rate of success that he's had, uh, it's a high pressure situation. And I assume that David Tepper has not gotten as far as he's gotten without surrounding himself with the best of the best in his field. So you got to wonder how that attitude is going to influence his direction going forward. And um, I want I want to say this is or ask you. Do you think there are any good candidates out there for GM right now that would fit with what we just assume is about his personality? Uh, and that is the kind of Wolf of Wall Street type. Well, maybe that's not the good example. But the the idea of this is that we need to be the best of the best at our job. Because I feel like Tepper probably places that burden on himself when he's managing that amount of money and there's not a lot is that I want the best guys. So who are the best guys to go at the name that we, that was on your list last year that I think that said the guys on everyone's list that no one thinks will move. It's a year removed. Nick Casario is the guy that some people uh, among the circles that I just discussed with have just been interested in because of the way he talks about, doing the draft so we're just using anecdotal evidence but who who is the best of the best right now potentially well it's hard because you know i don't have a personal relationship with all the candidates to say you know with conviction that that one's uh, superior to the other so i like most people have to look at you know the team's win-loss record their draft record what the organization says about things that are progressive you know um we're in a place now where data and technology is ever growing can be really helpful and impactful, not to make decisions, but to aid in making decisions. So, you know, the last couple of years, two really exciting candidates for a lot of people have been the two co-directors of player personnel in Seattle, Scott Fitter and Trent Kirchner. Um, the late now Paul Allen, may rest in peace. Uh, you know, grew up in the Microsoft thing. So there's plenty of technology and data being used. Uh, Seattle's been a consistent competitor since that front office came together. Uh, those individuals have been core to that. Uh, we've seen that organization that was supposed to have a, a down year this year, according to pundits, uh, still remaining very competitive. Uh, so those guys are going to be high on most people's lists. Uh, Minnesota, again, been competitive the last number of years. They've uh, done well in the draft, certainly, especially with their high picks, particularly on defense, consistently panning out is a great tip of the cap. Uh, no, that organization's made a move into being more, um, you know, uh, heavily leveraging some data into metrics to help them uh, decide what they want to do. So George Payton, their vice president of player personnel, along with Jamal Stevenson, their college director, are going to be interesting. Uh, you mentioned Casario. I'm still not of the belief that anybody's going to get him out of there. I think his relationship <laughs> with Robert Kraft um, it's critical, that much like Josh, he's going to leave, and then you know, I guess sits down with Kraft and decides up. to stay. 
Uh, I assume Robert Kraft is not ignorant of the fact that Bill Belichick cannot possibly coach forever. And so maybe they have some long-term plans there for what's going to happen, like um, Eric DaCosta in Baltimore, who's taking over for Ozzie Newsom, right? Eric was always on the top of this list. Now they finally activated their transition plan. Eric will be taking over after the conclusion of the season as a top decision maker. So my guess is my gut tells me that Nick Casario has something like that in place. Ever since 2014, when he interviewed with Miami, he hasn't taken another interview since. So I, I think there may be some, some conversations there about his long-term um, future in those areas. So those are the guys that are, you know, when I talk about the, the Kirchners, the Fitters, you talk about, again, uh, George Payton, Jamal Stevenson. Those are the guys that are known and may touch upon, um, again, more of the progressive side. You know, a couple of the guys that I actually have a relationship with that on the football side uh, have always impressed me are the Lewis Riddicks and Terry McDonough's of the world um, just from what I've learned from them on the football side and, and you know, the list is actually, I'm going to publish this year's research on Monday. Um, you know, the list has, has 20 names on it in these different, these different groups, uh, people that have been heavily in the interview circuit, people that are just getting on it, people that may be getting on it. Um, former GMs who might be earning another shot like Jeff Ireland in New Orleans or Brian Zanders with the Rams. Uh, Xanders is known as a football operations systems expert, built a lot of the scouting systems and, and data and technology in Denver, did a lot of that work in Detroit before going and helping the Rams do the same thing. Um, he might be really exciting to someone like Tepper. So again, because he's such an unknown at the top of the organization, I'd probably end up having to write off 10, 12 names to try to cover all the bases. Yeah. Um, is, isn't Dan Morgan, former Panther, involved in that front office in Seattle? He moved this year to Buffalo okay, to be there, uh, the director of player personnel up there. But, yes, he was the pro director in Seattle um, at least the last six or seven years. Now, if And I think Dan will absolutely be on the circuit not too long. Typically, the way this stuff goes is the guys that have been on the circuit, um, you know, they weed through those names for two or three years before kind of the next group gets to jump on. But... Uh, with his history playing, his history in Seattle, and if, if Buffalo uh, turns around, uh, my guess is we'll see Dan getting some interview shots here in, in the next few years. Super interesting. If you uh, were David Tepper and you were and you were, you know, kind of feeling this out right now, and that's kind of what I assume that really that Jason Lock and Four report is really about is that he's probably if if there is real teeth to that that it's more just feeling out among like you said those people who he's listening to about how to maybe approach this going forward. Do you think that he's going to make his decision sooner than later in his head? Not announce it, but that is, I mean, we're going into Cleveland. We're on a four-game streak. Maybe if you are going to turn the page, don't you need to do it with some decisiveness early so you can get ahead of this? I would think so. And you, again, you talked about you know eleven billionaire. He's he's made some he's made some critical decisions in the past uh, that have been impactful. So I, I would hope that his you know decisiveness is not going to be an issue on this. Yes, I imagine these guys do six, eight, ten weeks worth of legwork usually before the announcement comes, kind of behind the scenes, you know, poking a product things, maybe even you know whispering to some agents out there. Hey, if you were to do something, would your guy be interested? Type stuff. You hear all those kind of rumors every year on how the process is unfolding again behind the curtain on this. But 
you know, you, we talked about it before when I mentioned, you know, John Dorsey in Cleveland or Brian Gutekunst in Green Bay. You know, GMs want to have their own guy. I, I don't see any difference in the ownership group, right? The last ownership group move we saw up in Buffalo, the Pagulas uh, allowed Doug Whaley basically a season. Actually, he got to work through uh, a draft process. And then right after the draft, they released the whole staff, brought Brandon Bean in and let him have free reign on building his staff from scratch. That may be a model um, that Tepper looks at and says, you know, instead of hiring a GM in January and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, build your whole staff, scout this whole draft class, prep for free agency, build this team the right way all in the next four months. The, in Buffalo, and they let Brandon Bean come in after the draft and having a full cycle all summer to build your staff, slowly, methodically getting ready for the season, put all your people in the field during the season, doing the things they usually do, collect your information, and then ready to roll in the offseason with your team build, your first team build with months and months and months of prep time as opposed to, hey, you got about four or six weeks, figure it out. So that would lend to maybe Ron Rivera staying if that was the case, if that was the strategy to go forward. Well, in Buffalo, obviously, they hired Sean McDermott right, you know, in that period of time. Um, my understanding is that might have been uh, the, you know, the owner's discretion or what have you. And then they ended up kind of reverse engineering it where they paired GM candidate that had a relationship with the head coach so the two could be married together and move forward. Man, tremendous, tremendous. All right, Dan, I've, I've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much for joining the CP. All right, that's Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy. You can find the. I'm going to publish the full interview uh, in the next day or two on the on the podcast feed. I'll put it up on the website before then. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting that is hard for us to understand, guys, as we scream at the, you know, with our pitchforks in hand outside the gates, of Panther Stadium on Mint. What is it? Mint and what? Mint and... Moorhead. Mint and Moorhead. Yeah. So whereas we're ready to storm the Bastille, essentially, and take Ron Rivera's head uh, and and maybe even uh, burn Marty Herney at the stake in the process, that some of this, though, is not about what you want what you think is the right move at this moment, but some of this has to do with timing. And what I'm interested in is, is that we've heard people say that pace that uh, maybe that, that Tepper will have patience here instead of it is what I think is this is that just want, we don't know how the process fully goes. And it's such a big move to bring in that top bottom change. I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that if we haven't already made the decision to do this and already installed these things like now, that we're getting a little too close to the window, the window's closing on it. And I'm starting to say, I wonder if we could bring in a new GM after the draft. Like he said, let him prep for a full year. Stick with Ron Rivera one more year. See what Norv Turner gets you. And if it isn't anything better, than uh you know 11 and 5 and a deep playoff run then it's time to like he said look is that he said at one point that there are no g that dave gettleman ron rivera is the only coach in recent history who has survived the gm change uh even mike mccarthy 
is one of those players. GM change, and that was from an internal promotion. So the guy was used to was with the organization the whole time. Knew McCarthy moved up, and then uh, eight games in, ten games into the season, fires him, and now it's time to b- install his vision. I I think the timing's going to be imperative, guys. Yeah, I mean, and I remember even us having this discussion last year. Remember when we were bringing in uh, people? Um, this was after uh, Marty Herney's ex-wife had come out with an allegation against him, and then they were interviewing candidates just in case. Um, and they were bringing in some people, and I, I heard that same uh, point brought up. You know, let let Herney uh, take it this year. So that way you're not bringing a brand new general manager in with a brand new staff that close to the draft, um, you know, before you have to make decisions on players that are going to be the future of your franchise. My thing is, is I I understand it's it's never going to be the opportune time, but I don't think that you can say to a general manager, okay, here's your draft, draft all of our players. And then as soon as you're done doing that, you're out the door. You know, I don't I mean, think you I tell him it's over. <laughs> you let him believe he's going to live, and then you fire him right after. I, I mean, maybe so. I mean, I don't know. And it, it just it does suck that there's no one on the inside, at least not that we know of, that we could just promote from inside the organization. Um, if they do exist, I don't know them. Um, that would be a, a good situation for us. They but, yeah, exist. I'm just – yeah, they, they don't. don't. Yeah, we would have heard that name by now at this point if, if well, someone was. Too, um, we have to remember in the insane way that this transition occurred, firing Dave Gettleman uh, on a whim three days before training camp starts, bringing in an interim guy where you don't even hold interviews. Then you hold some farcical interviews as the team is being sold in shame. Really, this uh, a lot of people say this on. Maybe this is really on Jerry Richardson for creating, leaving an organization in tatters on the way out the door, taking his money and running and grabbing a girl on the butt on the way out. Uh, Absolutely. He hasn't, we are not in a place right now of, of supreme stability. Right now you've got a lot of questions. Is Marty Herney really a guy that you could build on in the future? And I don't think that is, I think that look, we've seen over a decade of Marty Herney, and thank you for your service. Very good job in this draft. But I don't know if you're the guy that's going to have the chops to do this for the next 10 years and build a new vision. Ron Rivera has showed that he is not a great talent evaluator. And the problem that I have is this, is that if, and, and if you go check out the full interview, he talks about how many levels there are to scouting a player and how coach some coaches pull for players and this is obviously Ron Rivera has not either had enough strength in that war room or enough um, scouting, you know, feel for players that has turned into tremendous success in the draft because, yeah, look, all eyes are on picks one and two, but we've seen a lot of three, fours, and fives walk out the door and unceremoniously as well. And then we've also seen Ron Rivera just sit guys on the shelf and maybe we've, I don't know who is ultimately to blame that, but DJ Moore has been sensational this year. Curtis Samuel yeah. has been playing his mind, and they continue to go with these guys, and even Ian Thomas. So 
I don't think that Ron Rivera is going to be a player as a coach GM would he would have a lot of success either. So this is kind of a mess in some ways that probably can only be fixed by sticking it out for a year, in my opinion, and starting over fresh at a right and opportune time. If not, the plan better be installed right now. Yeah. Yeah, and have you noticed that ever since Greg Olson got hurt, now you're seeing more of Ian Thomas? I mean, and yeah. he, played, he played well. He played very good. Anytime, listen, anytime I see Chris Manhurts on the field, a little part of my soul dies, okay? <laughs> and, this was, and, and this was before Greg Olson got hurt. Why does Ron Rivera refuse to play his young talent? Why do older guys need to get hurt before you play the younger, more talented people? It's a problem. That's part of the reason why we all want him out. Yeah. All right. I mean, Dad, when when your coach can't even evaluate the talent you have on the team, let alone trying to search for a draft prospect, it just hasn't been a strength that he's exhibited, you know, is yeah. that it doesn't seem like it's been his forte of dealing with these things. So, all right, next call going on right now. This is JC out of NC again. I, I forgot to add one thing. Some question marks ahead for why the hell is Funchess out there? Even we, we didn't listen to this call. Did we? Contribute. That just takes away from the players so. that can actually okay. make plays. I never, I didn't understand that. Just the two cents, throwing it in there, going to drink some more milk, like get some work done. Y'all have a good night. <laughs> He's got, uh, I tell you why Devin Funches is out there is because you don't have any but any other big bodied receiver uh, that, and, and you know what, is that it's even showed that just his physical stats alone, his size haven't been enough to keep him out there. He's been, a, he's looked broken. And this is, again, one of those things that I have come back to the coaching staff and I don't understand what's going on is that uh, they stick with guys for so long and then they toss them on the trash heap the next day. Yeah. Uh, yeah good news. Just, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was going to say good news, and I was about to pull up the snap count, is one bright spot that we haven't mentioned is Cameron Artis Payne had a first down pickup. On the one play I saw him play right here, and let me see, and and that is while we go to the next call, we'll I'll savor that moment a little longer. Poor Cameron Artis Payne, he should hate everybody in the whole co- in the whole building uh, <laughs> over there. Hey guys, uh, this is uh, Jai Jordan chat. Man, I could have told you guys three weeks ago that this Panthers team wasn't going to beat this Browns team because. Brown team's actually pretty good. Yeah. They make a lot of mistakes, and I think they got a uh, they got some young players that gotta grow into their roles. But I think this is a talented Browns roster for like the first time ever. And uh, I knew that on the road, our this Panthers team wasn't gonna really do much against that. But I mean, it was a close game, like all Panthers games are. Uh, it's just <laughs> comes down again to the complimentary football, like our defense. Uh, played well the second half and up good the first half, and our offense played good the first half and up the second half. It's just uh, how this team has been operating this year. It's crazy because the, 
the Saints looked like they were about to lose Tampa Bay until they figured out that they were playing Tampa Bay. Um, they almost lost to the Browns, too. good to see the, the Falcons lose, but it's, it's been a, a rough stretch here. But uh, keep pounding, guys. Uh, I can't really say who to blame for this loss. Like I said earlier, it's, it's really a team effort in losing. It was almost like the Browns were like, hey, you guys want to win this game? And the Panthers were like, eh, I don't think so. And they're like, you sure? We'll, we'll let you win it. But then they're like, nah, we'll, we'll take the loss, the draft picks. But anyway, guys, keep on. Oh, good one. Thanks, Jedajor. 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 I got to say it quicker. Jedajor. Uh, and I was right, guys. Sometimes I don't even – I can just trust my eyeballs in a game that I half watched and that I have not been able to watch. Like a lot of times I watch these games two and three times before the show. And um, Cameron Artis Payne with a whopping one offensive snap. <laughs> this poor guy. He got a first down, though, baby. He got a first down. Cameron Artis Payne, I love you, man. I love you, and I hope that sometime you actually get to play football. Fellas, this is Big Craig McCoy. I know North Carolina just calling in. And I think it's time to do something about Cam. Y'all can say it ain't him, but it's two wide open. Jarrett's right passes twice in two weeks, three weeks for the win. It's got to be on him. Yeah, well, you know what? And like you said, he's not, we have, we've, is that he has not been the hero yet, uh, this season, uh, that we, that he had the chance to be clearly. It, and you know what? Let's go back though to the times that we've seen Cam Newton kind of play and do some of this late in the season. And he was playing with real injuries that, that they minimized in the press conferences that they minimized. They minimized those injuries by trotting them out there. You know, that's what they do is they are acting like they are they that you can overcome them. And in many ways is that um, what you're getting is, is this is you're getting a cam that's not 100 percent cam. And then he's making some bad decisions and at some times and he's just not coming through in the clutch at this moment. But like a lot of people said in the chat in the chat room, let's get that shoulder tuned up and let's ride and die with Cam Newton, because I tell you this is uh, you could go pay $80 million to Kirk Cousins. I don't think that that's a good move. I don't think yeah. that uh, that this team would be any better with Joe Flacco. This team would be any better or even if close to where we are with uh, Matt Ryan. Or And that, that's the one thing is Cam has disguised and, and he has made us feel comfortable with saying the line isn't that bad. And this isn't the first year that he's done it. In fact, this isn't even the worst line he's played with. 2014 was the absolute most atrocious line he ever played with, I think, in that year. And uh, and he continues to make it look like it's plausible. Would you put another quarterback in there and they would, like Shockhead said, you're talking an 0-13 potential season maybe. Um, and, unless you're going to say, well, if we had Drew Brees, well, duh. Um, you're talking about comparing them to the greatest quarterbacks in all, all of history, potentially. But thanks for the call. And I do agree though. I think you're right. Is that something's on cam. And the question is, is that, um, is how serious it is it? 
And how long does that and, and does this have a detrimental effect on the long term on the tenure of his career? We'll be, uh, you know, only time can tell that right now. But I think, like Joey said, putting him out there just to take more beating and bruising at this point is not wise. Even if imagine like all of a sudden his shoulder is going to get great if we go deep and if we get a playoff. I don't know. Right. No. Well, um, and I, I want to wait. Hold on. Pause that yep. for a minute, Tony. Um, you know, so this is to to Brandon Herbert, to Carl D. Everyone that says I'm a Cam Newton apologist. I have the clip right here, and I think this one is 100%. I think it's on Cam Newton. Um, well, I don't even think that this is on his shoulder. I, I just think if he would have stepped to the left a little more and, and pointed his toes outward, he, he, he could have made this pass. Is that a hard pass to make? Yeah, and Cam Newton's never really been a back-of-the-end-zone kind of thrower to that matter anyway. But I do think that Cam Newton could have made that throw, and, and he should have made that throw. Um, to everyone who says I'm a Cam Newton apologist, there you go. There's a play that I think Cam Newton could have and should have made. And I'm not putting that on his shoulder either. Maybe there are some plays that, that, have, that he's been hampered on, but I don't, I don't think that that was one of them. Um, but, it, but two things can also be true as well. And what you said remains relevant. You're not putting Kirk Cousins on this team or, you know, whatever quarterback you want to pop up into your mind, and all of a sudden it's a better football team. Look at Jared Goff on Monday Night Football. The minute he went up against a dominant defense, that blitz shut him down, and he looked subpar. That's my point is that Cam Newton is always having to make these these throws to receivers that – normally have not been open or it's a hard throw to make or the offensive line just isn't there for them. But a bunch of these things are true at the same time. It's, it's yeah, a play-by-play play judgment. And Here we're also... One, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, just uh, another um, indicator of how bad the shoulder is. Where is the the best... Short yardage back that has ever lived. Cam Newton is the best short yardage back ever. And why isn't he going for a sneak on 30, you know, 30 goal from the two or 30 goal from the one? He's not because his shoulder's hurting him. And they don't want him taking hits on the shoulder. I mean, how many times have we seen him get up on the center? And quarterback sneak it. I mean, countless number of times. And how often have we seen it this year? Not once. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I would say that you're even risking it too much when you've run them at this point. Because yeah. they're still running them out there on some design stuff. And so yeah. they're taking some risks with Cam Newton. And and if it comes out that Cam Newton is injured to the point that he needs this, that he's going to get an offseason surgery, and we put him out there on Monday night against the Saints, uh, and then you got to let Cam, and, and Cam Jordan ruins his career. Shame on this coaching staff. That's what I say. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that at some point is I don't care if we got a five percent chance to make the playoffs. Is that that? Oh, you know what? What do we got? If you don't got Cam Newton up there, then we got what? A five percent chance of making the playoffs. 
with Taylor Heineke and realistically a 0% chance of making the playoffs. And really 5%? Come on. 5%? What? Yeah, I, I, you know, I really believe that Cam needs to be shut down. And I'm sure Cam is saying, no, I want to play. I'm sure of that because he's such a competitor. But these coaches have to be smarter than Cam and say, look, you we know you want to play and 60% of you is better than 100% of the backup. But we got to think about a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Do we, are we trying to, is this it? Is this, uh, you know, all or nothing? No, it's not. We still have, Cam under contract. This year's a wash. Five percent. It's not worth it. Oh, it went up to nine percent after the Minnesota loss. Jetta Jor says. I just okay. want to make one last point. I just want to make one last point here. One of my greatest fears in relation to Cam Newton is that he ends up getting more and more hurt, and that we miss his prime, and that Cam Newton will have come and gone through Carolina with nothing to show for it other than the good memories that we have of him on this football team and that he will historically be looked at as a once-in-a-lifetime athletic, uh, you know, generational quarterback. Those are two different things, but um, that is under service. That is under service by the team that that he was on that didn't put him up uh, a high-class offensive line around him that didn't put him high-end perimeter weapons until, you know, this past two seasons or what would be considered the end of his career, uh, just under service from the jump. Then on top of that, being one of the more heavily criticized quarterbacks in all of football and having to go through all of that, that's my fear that people will then realize what Cam Newton meant to this football team when it's far too little and far too late. Jetta George says, I also have a 14% chance of dating Ariana Grande and having her write a dope song about me. Oh, <laughs> hey, man. Keep going dreaming, dude. It 14%, might happen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, is uh, let me tell you a little story. I might have mentioned this on the podcast earlier. A girl who goes to the, co- the college I teach at and her mother teaches in the same department as me, won $4 million on a scratch-off ticket. Uh, so it does happen. And that was like two weeks ago. So, uh, And by the way, they're not coming to the Christmas party. They are on defense mode. They know this. This will be like, this dip, that's all you got. That's all you got with $4 million? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm looking show now. Uh, I know you guys are talking about GMs right now. But I just wanted to throw a head coaching idea out that out there. Um, I know you guys are probably tired of defensive guys, but the philosophy is defense wins championships. That's what has the Steelers with seven championships and the uh, the what, Patriots, <laughs> the Patriots with the uh, with five of their own. So I was thinking about a guy like Vic Fangio, out of um, defensive coordinator out of Chicago Bears. He's hasn't had a head coaching job in the NFL yet, and he has a history with Jim Harbaugh as well. So if Jim Harbaugh decides to get or gets fired from Michigan, he can possibly come in as offensive coordinator in later years. 
I just wanted to get you guys thoughts on that. Keep on, guys. Hmm. Yeah. Did you say well, yuck? Yeah, I don't like that idea at all. Why? I I'm, I just don't care for Vic Fangio. I mean, I think he he's a good coordinator. I just I I, I don't see him. I just don't see him as a head coach. Um, and Jim Harbaugh, God no, I don't want Jim Harbaugh. Him and Cam would be a fighting all the time. Is yeah. uh, that's a recipe I, for disaster? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to figure it out. Is right now, I'm just more interested in getting a GM and letting them tell me who the guy should be. You know, yeah, is that? Well, I was Harbaugh is never living in Michigan. I don't know not, where this is coming from. Right. He'll never voluntarily go. Not that yeah, Urban he, Meyer's gone now. Yeah, exactly. There, there's no reason for Harbaugh to not win the Big Ten every year. Uh, but it, it, even still, uh, and even if you brought in Dick Fangio, they run a or not Dick Vick. Um, uh, they run a, a three-four. They run a three-four up in Chicago, and we run a four-three. So if he came down mm-hmm. here. And he wanted to run that kind of system. You would have to basically draft the players that that fit that kind of defense. Which isn't a problem right defense. now since we got to have a full damn overhaul. I mean, yeah, if you would do that, now would be the time. Um, and uh, another misconception is that if you have a defensive-minded head coach, is like like you're going to be archaic on offense. That isn't true either. You know, it. What it does mean though is that whenever you have a head coach that's tilted one way or the other, it means that long-term, your team is going to be that. Because coordinators mm-hmm. come and go, you know? Their head coaching jobs open up and, and they leave, and then you have to bring in another guy who does another system. But the reason why I want an offensive head coach is for the rest of Cam Newton's career, I want him to have uh, a head coach that will be with him and help him to really mold this offense around Cam Newton from now until the end of Cam Newton's career here in Carolina without him having to worry about not having a stable play caller. That's why I want an offensive-minded person. I don't know. I'd like – say that, Joe. I said I have to run. Okay. See you later, I'm sorry I got on late, but thank everyone for watching. We love you guys. And guys, thank you. You both do a heck of a job on this show. I really appreciate working with you. Have All right, Joe. Love you, Joe. All How right, I'll, that, be, man? I'll, I'll be in touch, brother. Um, so I th- I do think that um, is that is that I don't know what I would feel like about doing more of the same. Um, and is that, why don't you just stick with Ron Rivera? Uh, uh, if you're going to go like Norv has been pretty good. You've gotten pretty far there, but I'm thinking about this and some names out there is Nagy, Reich, McVeigh and, uh, Peterson out there. Is that the league right now? Um, is, is, I don't know. Is that, I bet you would be a lot better, a lot easier to ha- to have a really good defensive coordinator um that could just maintain that 
instead of them having to be the head coach that that generates that philosophy there. Because I always wondered this, is that like Ron Rivera, they said that uh, they asked him in the press conference today, Cody, is that if he didn't like one of the calls uh, that Norv Turner made, and he said, if I thought it was wrong, I would say something to him. But don't you think Norv Turner would say, I know more about offensive football than you. I forgot more about offensive football than you ever known in your whole life. Rivera, like, I mean, how can you, if you're not in like a guru there, be critical of the offensive coordinator at any point? Well, maybe, but at the same time, I feel that North Turner would be old fashioned enough that he might respect the hierarchy and that he came here to be the coordinator and Ron Rivera is the head coach and, you know, the head coach calls the shots. So maybe that's true, but maybe it's even more true that Ron Rivera doesn't feel that. Uh, he has the type of pay grade to even be able to tell Norv Turner what to do on certain situations because that's just that's not what Ron does, and that's what Norv has cut his teeth doing. All right. Well, all interesting stuff that we'll be watching. Really at the back end of the show now, do you want to ask you anything that you're interested in at this point? Uh, Monday night, the Carolina Panthers host the, the New Orleans Saints. They have an 8% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, where, where do you want to see, uh, where do you, what do you see happening? What, or what's on your mind about going to, uh, into the national spotlight, uh, this week, uh, and a team that's been reeling for the last five weeks? So I'm not very excited at all. Not because I don't, because one, I don't think our defensive line matches up well with their offensive line. But on top of that, and I've said this before, uh, my brother is a diehard Saints fan. So every time the Saints beat the Panthers, I will hear about it and hear about it and hear about it and then hear about it some more. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I still do have – maybe it's just that eternal optimist inside me. Um, but I do have hope that, you know, we're motivated to come in and play spoiler. And if we want to even sniff the playoffs, we have to have this, man. We have to be at home um, in prime time. Everyone's watching. The last time we were in prime time, the Pittsburgh Steelers dirt stomped us. Um, I mean, this is this is for our our, our fortitude, man. Our our well being of who we believe we are as a football team. If we want this. It's time to fight. It's a division rival. Come out with the mindset of we're going to defend our dirt and slap them in the mouth. And if you don't do that, it'll be a long, long night. Yeah, you want to save some face here. I think that beating the Saints would go a long way into saving Ron Rivera. Is, that's probably necessary in this run to save his job probably. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just hard. This is that look is that we play our division rivals tough each and every time. Um, and the Saints, you know, they're not uh, un, they're uh, they're not in, impenetrable. You know, they've shown some moments where they've been vulnerable. But right now it just is it just seems uh, unreasonable to believe that it's it's a likely thing. It's not a probable thing. Is it a possible thing? Sure. Uh, but you got to hope that this defense can find a way 
to muster up something against Drew Brees in that offense. Because I promise you right now, the Saints, the Saints are good run run stuffing team. They have been good on the pack. Yeah. They're a good team all around. That's the thing. They're a better team than us right now. So if we beat them, uh, or I just want, I hope that we just really, to be honest, keep it close. Uh, and it's not just a miserable shellacking. Um, and, and I know people are like, oh, you don't believe in our team. Don't ever give up. No, I'm just, the, at some point, the writing's on the wall, right? And I don't want to see, I don't want to see uh, Cam Newton get seriously injured and this extend from a six game, five game losing streak into a 18 month losing streak. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, all right. So uh, I am going to just to go ahead and say it, though, is that who are you picking to win? Because I'm picking the Saints to win and probably by. I'm going to say 10, 10 points minimum right now. I'm saying this is something like uh, 34, 24, maybe. Yeah, um, I'm I'm hoping that we can put up a good offensive performance, but I'm I'm, I'm hoping that Maybe we can at least thirty <laughs> three. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that that we're able to keep it close for the duration of the game. But um, yeah, if you don't get pressure on Drew Brees, he's just gonna feast, man. Um, so I'm I'm thinking um, it's probably gonna be something like um, maybe like seventeen twenty seven, somewhere yeah. around there. All right, um, guys, this is the C3 Podcast. We're going to get our ice up picks in here and get, and get the heck out of here. That's what we're going to do. Uh, surprisingly, we had a shorter show than I expected, given all the calls that we're going to have through to an interview. Still long, though, two and a half hours. Um, but we, we, we enjoy your support right now. Uh, continue to subscribe to the show. Make sure that you stay aware of the upcoming RSS feed changes. Uh, part of joining uh, the Overtime Media Group and Network. Uh, this is going to give us a lot of exposure and opportunities to new platforms, as well as maybe even court some advertising sponsors for the audio podcast. But make sure that you stay updated with the feed. The show will not stop. So if you have any problems, you make sure you check on YouTube and the show notes on carolinacatchronicles.com. And I'll be posting a ton of stuff even on the and I'm going to try to keep both feeds going simultaneously for a little while. So, Cody, uh, so thanks to everybody in the YouTube chat room, Facebook, Periscope, uh, Shindig. We appreciate it. Uh, Cody, uh, who you got for your ice up pick this week? So this incident happened um, in Florida, as do most great stories of our time. And, um, you know, Tony, have you ever been in a public place and, man, you just had to fart? It just had to happen. <laughs> okay. It's just, yeah, I mean, I'm not it's ashamed just, of it. Yeah, okay. And sometimes, I mean, there might be people around. Hey, you let one go. You know, it could be anyone. But has someone ever called you on your said fart and then you got so mad that you pulled a knife on someone? Ooh, no, haven't had that happen just yet. Never had that, never had that happen. Well, this woman cannot say the same because uh, while at the dollar store, she decided she had to let one go and she just let it rip. 
And I guess the man behind her got all offended and mad that she did it and said, oh, yeah? Well, what does this knife have to say about it, huh? Are you still mad at that fart now? And this story is indicative of the kind of world that we live in where, hey, man, it's not safe to to let one loose, man, because your life might be in danger if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time. It's a message to everyone to be careful out there. Don't just let go of a random fart. Someone might pull a knife on you in that scenario. So to this woman who it looks uh, as though she's having a rough life, I still have to say, ice up, son. Ice up. My ice up pick goes to um, Ramsey Burse. Uh, and Ramsey Burse is a now a um, a middle school teacher, I believe. Middle school teacher and former Miss Kentucky pageant winner was arrested and charged with sending nude photographs of herself to a 15-year-old boy. The 28-year-old teacher at Andrew Jackson Middle School outside of Charleston, West Virginia, allegedly sent photos of the, to a former student, um, and his parents ended up reporting him, which also means his mother. Dang it. But uh, at the same time, this is, look, it is... Uh, Boy, this, I think there's just some mental health issues here is that if you're a, a married woman and you are attracted to a 15 year old boy, uh, there is look is that if I wasn't a dude um, who kind of has to grin and smile about that mess in the end of the day is that that's still pedophilia. And uh, this is just damn weird. So she's charged with four counts of distributing obscene materials to a minor minor. It's a felony. And uh, she is released on $10,000 bond and could face up to 20 years in prison for this. So, uh, boy, the lady with the green fiddle who was in, in the Miss America contest. Uh, boy, you've really fallen from grace. The fall, the first stumble was to a middle school teacher. No offense to teachers. I'm one of them. But boy. You stumbled, you fumbled, and then you hit on a boy who was going from the eighth grade to the ninth grade. That's a messed up shit right there. So to you, I say, ice up, young lady. To you, young man, I say, thumbs up. Um, all right. That is the C3 Panthers podcast brought to you by Carolina's Cat, CarolinaCatChronicles.com. We appreciate all your support. Thank you, Jared Spicer, for the compliment saying that the C3 podcast is the best Panthers podcast is look is that all I know is that we uh, love to get up here and talk football and hang out with you guys and you guys make this show what it is by being a participant in the chat room on the cat calls line the number is 252-228-5098 and we hope that you can uh, tune in each and every week because we're going to do this every week throughout the offseason the shows will be a little shorter obviously in the offseason but there's still tons and tons to talk about and sometimes that's the most interesting thing to talk about because we're not just dissecting each and every game to the play to the second. Cody Lashney, they can follow me on Twitter at cat underscore chronicles, and they can check you out on Twitter. Tell them where at and on your new little gig one more time. Yeah, at C O D Y L A C, Cody Lash on Twitter. Um, I am, uh, in case you missed my announcement earlier, I am now the new Panthers analyst for drafttech.com. 
so every other Tuesday, there's going to be a brand new mock draft. Go to drafttech.com, D-R-A-F-T-E-K.com. I will write up a little summation of the Panthers and what's going on. And then in uh, around January, we're going to be putting out mock drafts that are really focused on the players that are being drafted. Um, it's a great opportunity. I'm excited to do it, excited to talk about Panthers with my man Tony Dunn and Joe Riolano. And that's it. Nothing but love to my fam in the YouTube chat as well. All right. We're going to try to do it late Monday night. We'll see how that goes. It's going to be so late, but I'm tr- I'm planning on trying to do it if I can court some people into and doing the post game with me. But we'll definitely be here on Tuesday night to break everything down uh, uh, and see where we stand after that. Thanks for your support again, and we'll see you next week. And be sure to keep pounding.